Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today, on episode 104, Coach Mark Anderson. He's the head men's basketball coach of the Jamestown Jackals of the professional league. Semi-pro basketball team. He was born and raised in Indiana, Fort Wayne area. In the last 23 years, he's living in outside of Cleveland, Ohio. He lettered in three varsity sports, basketball, baseball, volleyball. He played college basketball and baseball at Adrian College. He earned four college degrees. He met his wife in college, married 32 years. She is also a coach. Two children, Tyler, 25, Allison, 22. He began as a junior high basketball coach in 1987. He was head coach of four varsity sports in 23 years of high school teaching. He coached college basketball for 13 years, 10 as a head coach. He won the 2004 National Junior College Association D2 National Championship at Cuyahoga Community College in Metro Campus. In 2004, he was the National Coach of the Year, two-time Regional Coach of the Year, and Conference Coach of the Year. He has six years coaching experience professionally in the UBA, the PBL, the MPA, CBL, and now the TBL. He sent 20-plus players internationally, 15 in three years, off of the Lima Express. He's coaching Canada, Canadian Basketball League, 2017 which are now defunct. He is beginning his second year with the Jamestown Jackals in the Basketball League, the TBL. He's also been involved with the McCracken Basketball Camp from 1983 to the present of a counselor and state and site director. In 2017, he was the FIBA America TV color analyst for the men's and women's games, 34 games in 11 days. He has a winning record on college and professional levels. Coaches, I'm so excited to have our first uh, professional coach, and I'm really going to get a perspective on um, his semi-pro. What do you do at the semi-pro professional level? How do you develop a program where we as high school coaches can really gather a lot of information to help us out, uh, but he's, and which will help us because he's coached at the high school and college level. He can connect. He can relate to us. Um, so we're going to get really a coach that, that's been coaching at all three levels, which is very rare. And uh, I'm sure you're going to hear Coach Anderson in the future because I'm sure he'll be up for possibly some NBA jobs. You just never know. Uh, but he's an up-and-coming coach. I think you're going to really enjoy this different perspective on coaching. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Mark Anderson. Mark, welcome.
Hey, Mark. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Great, great, man. You sound great, man. I, I it sounds like um, I can always tell a positive voice, man, when I first hear it, man. So I appreciate you coming on. Oh, I, I was looking forward to it when you texted me during the week. I thought, man, this is going to be fun. Great opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, not at all. And I, I think um, you know, all the coaches that listen to me and so forth, um, they're really going to get a great podcast. I love studying you, and I love. Uh, a lot of the things that you have done throughout your career. And I appreciate you coming on and joining us on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Always get a, you know, always get a, a chance to talk basketball with someone. It's a, it's a good day. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Yes. Um, hey, tell us a little bit about, I always like to ask coaches on that. How did you get involved in basketball as a young kid? And um, how did you create this love for the game? Well, I grew up in Indiana, so if you know anything about Indiana, basketball right. is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, was a professional player in Indiana uh, back in the 30s and early 40s. And, you know, it wasn't until later in life when I saw the pictures. and He would never talk about it. And I would always mm-hmm. ask my mom about it. And she would tell me things about how good he was and things like that. And I've got his medals and some trophies that he won. Um, this, this, this was AAU basketball back in the day when you would, um, get hired in a job. He worked for international harvester in Fort Wayne, but he would, they would play basketball around the state and get paid to do it. And in the early forties, um, it was them and the Zollner Pistons, but that's kind of how I got it, you know, and everybody in my family played. My dad just missed winning the state championship in 1958. He was, uh, the next guy to go off the JV team um, for Fort Wayne Southside, if anybody got hurt. So, you know, I always heard those stories. So just started, you know, watching the NBA in 1974. It was the Phoenix Suns. I'll tell you this, Kevin, this is this was the the, the thing that solidified me. I was watching Boston and Phoenix Suns in, uh, uh, I want to say, the 74 um, NBA championships. And the game went into triple overtime. And I was hooked after that. You know what? That's yeah, yeah. That's great. I remember that game I, right offhand. I remember that Paul Westfall, all those guys, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul Silas with his one-handed jumper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that was great. Dave Cowens, John Havlicek. Um, yeah. No, that that was the game. As I look back, what solidified it was probably that got me hooked right there. And and and. We would get the Pacers telecasts up in Fort Wayne on um, out of WTTV Channel 4. So the Pacers were you know, one of the best teams in the original ABA. So we got to watch a lot of that with George McGinnis, Billy Keller, Mel Daniels, those guys. Yeah, you, it seemed like you were around the game. And, of course, of course, you say 58, you know, when your dad played, it's like because every year I go back to the Hoosier gym every year and it's like, you probably have stories too about that, right? With the Hoosiers and all that, uh, Hoosier hysteria. So did you get that when you were a kid? Uh, I, to the gym. Well, you actually, um, yeah. Have you ever been to the gym and so yeah, forth? Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't until, um, two years ago, to be honest, cause I had moved out of the state, uh, in 96 over here to Ohio. Um, but yeah, I was going to Indianapolis, um, for our league combine and such. And I thought, you know what the heck I'm, I got some time. I left early, so I <laughs> had some time 
and it's not that far off the highway. So I thought, all right, I'm going to drive down and see what's going on. Well, you can walk right in. Sure. <laughs> so I'm, I was astonished right from there. And I walk in, I go, oh, my gosh, I can come in. I can walk on the floor. I can sit in the stands. I can take selfies. <laughs> so it was great. It was a great experience. And then we ended up, um, so in our league combine that Saturday night, we had um, an event at the, at the Hoosier gym where we actually showed the movie and guys could come and watch it if they, if they chose to. Uh, Kent Benson came in all IU all American. was Yeah, there. for sure. Um, so it was, it was kind of a neat, a neat thing to do. Yeah. That's that gym is awesome. My, my good friend runs the clinic there. And uh, matter of fact, I got to tell him, I said, you got to get Mark Anderson to come. He invites coaches from all over the, uh, pretty much that area to come in. Him and I will kind of work out here in Georgia, but he runs a clinic every year. I'm going to give him your name, Mark. You might be getting a call to. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm aware of that clinic because I was okay. going to go to it and it just didn't work out. But yeah, I know I'm familiar with it, Kevin. That'd be cool too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll for sure give him, um, give him your name and so forth. Uh, I think it'd be great fun for you. Uh, and plus, man, you're from Indiana, man. I think you would absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a great experience also. Coach, tell me about what I love about – I think you can give us some great perspective because you coach at the high school, college, and now you're at the pro level. Tell us about your journey and how you got to that level. And, and it sounds like, you know, you might be even trying to get maybe even to a higher level in the pros. Tell us about your climb and your journey. Well, it's <laughs> it's been 32 years. So I started <laughs> as uh, – um, Actually, it goes back before that, but I, I think we'll probably get into that a little later. But um, 1987, my former high school coach hired me to coach um, the seventh grade team. And it was it was a, a unique experience. And I got thrown into the fire right away because I had the head coach's son. I had <laughs> I, I had my brother. I had the head football coach's son and I had the head coach's son of one of the, the big private schools in Fort Wayne, all playing for me. But you know what the funny thing is? The, the person that gave me the most grief was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> for why, sure. why didn't, what, yeah, she would come back sometimes. Well, how come Greg didn't play more? <laughs> That's my brother. Sure. Well, Mom, <laughs> you know, so I thought, you're kidding me. All these other head coaches would come in and just sit there and watch and not say anything. And then, I get, I get my chops busted by my mom, but you know, that, that was all part of it. But I think that experience there having uh, the critical eye from other head coaches watching and, and, you know, if, if they wanted to say something, they, they could have, but I think that that gave me more of, you know, I got to be on my game today and it worked out. So yeah, from 87, um, I was a junior high coach for three years. And then when I started teaching, um, I ended up being the top assistant at a school in northern Indiana. We had 18 baskets in the gym, um, three full courts, wow, uh, 3,400 seats. Now, the kicker is when I was teaching there, the high school had only 350 kids in it. And the two communities combined was a little over 2,000, maybe 3,000 at the most. But if we, if we were playing our rivalry – it would be packed. Um, I always tell people about coaching in the regional. I was a, an assistant. We were playing in the regional finals 
at 10 o'clock in the morning in front of 8,000 people in a high school gym. Man. It, it was nuts. Now, they've gone to class basketball since then, mm-hmm. and, and attendance has really dropped off. Um, well, there's just so many things going on nowadays anyways, but um, it was always, those are always the things I, I look back at and think, man, that was a, that was a fun experience. So then um, when Jerry Esch, who is another one of the, the, one of the three guys that I looked to as um, my mentor in coaching, when he retired, he had an 86% winning percentage. I thought, how am I going to follow this? And of course, I only did follow it for two years. <laughs> um, we uh, we were a, a senior laden team that went to the regional finals, and we lost to the uh, eventual state champions. But so the next year, I take over. I only had one guy back that really even played as a junior, and three or four other guys that had a couple minutes or so here and there. But that only lasted for two years, um, coaching in high school, uh, when I was asked to resign. And I, I said, this will never happen again. I won't ever let this happen to me again uh, in the way of getting, you know, put being put in a situation, uh, you know, being young, 32, I was eager to get a head coaching job. And in, in Indiana, there's not as many high schools as there are in other states. So it was mm-hmm. at a premium back then. So I thought, all right, you know, jump in and wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and going from there uh, but I learned I learned um, so we ended up moving over here uh, to Ohio and then I got it um, took a year off I had it was a crazy thing I had my master's paid for by the University of Akron it was a one-year program called the Golden Opportunity they paid for every, and on top of that I got a stipend and I had um, to go out each semester and uh, cover six student teachers okay and and the crazy thing is kevin that program went away a year later so i was one of seven people that had this opportunity so i had my uh, master's paid for and then i got um, a college coaching job at one of the regional campuses we have uh, many regional campuses here in ohio like mine I, I was at the university of akron wayne college so it'd be equivalent to um it was kind of like independent college basketball. You could play four years. Um, so I started there, was there for five years, built the program up from um, a- after I had struggled for a few years from there, went to Cuyahoga Community College in inner city Cleveland. And that's where I was teaching, too. So I went from teaching in rural Indiana to teaching <laughs> in inner city Cleveland. Right, so right. Talk about culture shock. <laughs> uh, it was and again, it, it was a it was a learning experience. I ended up staying at Cleveland Central Catholic for 15 and a half years um, and then at Tri-C for five. And we built that program up from the bottom, uh, won the national championship my second year there. And then the third year, we went back to the final four with only eight guys and lost to the eventual champs, um, Brown Mackey. So it was uh it was a wonderful experience. And then from there, I went to Hiram College as an assistant, D3 school up here. Was there for three years and started to get, you know, I, I needed another challenge. Um, I, I didn't mind being an assistant, but I also wanted to be a head coach again. And I thought, you know, I'd like to give this uh, professional basketball an opportunity, see where it takes me. So I ended up um, 
leaving education, going to the Lima Express that was in the Premier Basketball uh, League. Was there for three years. And over that time, we spent, we put 15 guys internationally. Um, so we kept rotating guys out of there. Now, our record didn't look very good. But the thing is, we, we were getting, our guys were getting picked up all the time. Um, just because, of the, I, I don't know, just uh, maybe we were lucky we got the right guys. But we took, the thing is, is we got guys that weren't well-known that played maybe mid-major D2. Um, and I got a bunch of them that are still playing overseas. But the crazy thing is, one of the best players I've ever coached professionally was a Division three player. Uh, so you never know. You never know. From there, um, I went to Canada and coached one year in Butch Carter's, uh, the former Toronto Raptor sure. coach. He started a league up there. And we were there for a year in Hamilton. Uh, that league no longer exists. And then uh, I had a year off, and I ended up taking over the Junior Cavs program. The Cleveland Cavaliers, like most NBA teams have, you know, they're the, uh, like their junior, whatever, like junior Hawks down in Atlanta or whatnot. Sure. And um, ended up uh, taking over that here at the, at the rec in the city where I live and was coaching the coaches and would lead practices with <laughs> with young kids. You know, I go from coaching men now down to third graders. So <laughs> it was, it, it, you know, that 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 year was probably good in the fact that it made me step back and break things back down. You know, can't obviously you can't assume that a third grader knows different things, the terminology, what to do. And we set it up through USA basketball rules, you know, no zones. Uh, we spread the floor on offense, you know, five out. I taught them that to cut through, pass and cut. We'd work on that. And then um, crazy thing, I uh, got a call. This was in August of that summer. Um, 2018. Hey, do you want a, a mutual friend? Well, actually, Lewis Shine, who owned the the Lyman Express, he goes, "Hey, I got a friend that needs a coach." I go, "Okay, uh, when? Well, for the playoffs, for the playoffs." <laughs> okay, <laughs> so he gave it throw you right. <laughs> yeah, so he gives me the name of Kayla Crosby, owns the Jamestown Jackals uh, in Jamestown, New York. So I called her and she said, yeah, I need a coach. We're in the national playoffs and I, I want to have a coach with experience when we go to Dallas. All right. And I told her what I would need and they took care of it. And we ended up going down there and uh, we came in second in the national tournament. Uh, we, we beat the team that we were supposed that was supposed to win it all the day before we kind of dismantled them. And then uh, we lost to a very, um, veteran team. It was the NABL uh, national championship game down in Dallas, Texas. So, so that and, and I'm at Jamestown. I've been. I was there last year, and we went 14 and 13. We're in the basketball league um, with 12 teams around the United States. Uh, so it was it was a good situation. Yeah, I love that, and and. I've heard other coaches that are in your position say you to me, you have to be able to adapt at your level, right? Because you got players in and out just like you did. You went over to your, your new team, the Jamestown Jackals, and you had to do something right away. How hard was that? How, how, how do you create something or not even create a culture, but how do you put a team together that quick? 
Well, she had the team. I had eight days to basically get because they the the seat. It was crazy because in minor league basketball, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the season had technically ended in April, so they had a few months off waiting for the other teams to get set. So I had eight days which to prepare, throw in <laughs> throw in the different offenses that I wanted to do and the defenses, and we were playing NBA rules, so that was fine. And I knew there'd be no zones, so we'd go from there, or no no recognizable zones, I should say, uh, and then go from there. And it was wonderful. The guys bought in. Um, we did what we needed to do. We had a, a good run at it. And, you know, that's the one thing at this level is that, yeah, you got to, and you know what, junior colleges too, you, you really only have 18 months uh, with a player and some of the best coaches are in junior college, but they always get the, um, you know, the stigma or the stereotype that it's Juco basketball and it's not going to be any good. And that's far from the truth, but you know, and same thing with the minor leagues. If you get it, if you do it right, um, it can be very re- rewarding for everybody involved. And tell me, I, I want to know, like, what you put in, because that's very interesting, because it's almost like a youth coach coming right in and they got to put a little team together really quick. And I wanted to, I want you to relate it to youth coaches and our high school coaches on how concise and you have to be. I, I guess there's – you got to cut out all the fat, right? You got to get right to the point, correct? We did. Yeah. Uh, you know, we jumped in with running practices like I normally do. Now, you also have the advantage where I would have the advantage that these guys had had a few years of professional basketball. So they're used to having a lot. Right. Them. But, you know, I, I do a lot with the horn set. We did that and then motion and then simplified our um, set plays you know, just to have the basic stuff starting out and then add it on. And then we went from there, but you know, basketball is basketball at all levels. You just got to teach, you got to get in there and teach it. And then the guys, if they're engaged, they're going to catch on quick. Right. And they're hungry, right? Cause they want to get to that next level. Right. And that's the thing that I've been fortunate with, with the, the teams that I've been coaching since uh, I've been in this the last six, seven years is that we really haven't had guys cause problems because they know that if they get cut or something, that it's, it might be the end of the road for them. Um, so we've been fortunate that we've had guys that have been pretty good in the way of, of you know, staying out of trouble, not causing to embarrass themselves or the team, uh, those types of things. And, and we're pretty selective on who we bring in when it comes to things like that. Coach, tell me about – I always ask people, like, who who had the most influence on you? You mentioned, uh, I think, Jerry Ash, I think you mentioned, and so forth. Who are your mentors? And I guarantee, man, in Indiana, whatever, I mean, even Ohio, there's some great coaches out there. Who had the most influence on you? Well, there's three of them that I always – that I tell people. Uh, number one was my high school coach, Gay Martin, at Woodland High School in uh, Indiana. I learned from him. I played for him for four years. One year JV, then he got the uh, the varsity spot. Then my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I played for him. I learned from him how to organize practices because he always had a script with him. Um, and I'm sure all coaches did at that time, or most of them did. But I always I, I caught that right away. All right, we're organized. We know what we need to do. We stuck, st- you know, stayed to a timed frame. And, and move practices moved right along. Those were the one things uh, I learned from him. 
you know what, how to fire, get, you know, light a fire under somebody. And it doesn't always have to be the yelling and screaming, but, you know, he gave me confidence to do things out on the court um, to allow me to expand my game. So that was one. Uh, Dave McCracken. So anybody from Indiana that follows college basketball has heard of Dave McCracken's father, Branch McCracken. Coached IU in 40 and 53 and actually had the term um, hurrying Hoosiers. Uh, Okay. That came came from the way that he was, he was an innovator. He was the first one that really started the fast break. So he got that going. Uh, So with Dave McCracken, his son, I started working the Hoosier basketball camp up in Lake James in Northern Indiana. It later became the McCracken basketball camp, but this is what I learned from him. So it was my senior year, 1982, and I had applied to be a counselor there. And at the time, if you didn't go to camp there, you probably weren't going to be a counselor because they had a lot of division one guys and that coming in, but he would take guys. So he, he was an adjunct professor at Bluffton college in Ohio. So he would drive from Port Wayne to Bluffton about two hour drive, maybe a little less. He stopped on his way to Bluffton to get me out of class to say, hey, Mark, I don't have a chance to get you in this year, but you call me next next spring early, and I guarantee you'll be in as a counselor. He, he kept his word. So from 1983 to this, to this year, I've been working camp hmm. from the Kraken basketball camp because of the loyalty he showed me. Sure. So the only two summers I haven't worked there was 1987 when I graduated college. And then 89 when I got married. But ever since then, I've been going back. So I've been a site director the last, uh, probably since 1994, I've been a site director for the McCracken basketball camp. Um, and doing, you know, like team camps, fundamental camps, what we called gold camps, shooting camps. So we've done all of those. And well, then tell the third, me, yeah, yeah, go ahead, then, go ahead, coach. Yeah, and then the third one, of course, was Jerry Eshel, and I was his assistant. He he taught me how to, how to win, and do it with class, and how to how to. Uh, he would let me do media. He would let me do the um, Saturday morning um, radio talk shows. He so that kind of got me prepared to be a head coach down the line to work with the media or to do the post game interviews and things like that. He would step aside and let me do that. And I was very appreciative of that. And he would let me have input. And if he didn't like something, he would tell me. He wouldn't tell me directly. He just wouldn't do it. And that was his, <laughs> that was his yes. way of, you know, telling me, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And that was fine. But, right. it, but I, you know, what I learned from that, Kevin, is how to, how to treat assistants and allow them to feel a part of what you're doing. And that's something that I've always carried over when I had my assistants. I let them sometimes take over a huddle, take over parts of practice, uh, scouting reports, all that. So they have to feel involved or, or they don't feel, you know, like they're doing anything. Then why would they want to be a part of what you're doing? So those three have been those three are the most significant um, mentors or coaches that uh, that I've had. Yeah, and I think, you're, you know, your top coaches like yourself, I think, um I think you got to have that ability to grow as a coach. And I think certain coaches have that, that desire and that want to learn. And I think certain coaches don't, <laughs> but I think that's an absolute, I mean, if you had to teach a coach under you, wouldn't you teach them, Hey man, you got to get out and learn and meet other coaches, right? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to go out and glad hand and get out there and, and do those things. And I've had people tell me that if I would have been more like that when I was like coaching at Cuyahoga community college, I may have gotten, you know, up to the division one level. I don't know. You know, that's all, you know, how that works with, you know, I had, uh, when I had Daryl Harris, who was a six eleven uh, kid playing for us, we had most of the major colleges in, in America in looking at him, um, talking, you know, and I had coaches say, you know, if I get him, I, I can bring a coach in with me. And, but I never felt that that was right. You know, for me, I didn't think, well, then as soon as Daryl graduates, then you're probably going to release me out of my contract. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew the heads up on that. So I wasn't going to do that. I, I think, you know, if I if I can't earn it on my own, then then so be it. Um, I, I'll do what I need to do and, and help other guys get to where they need to go. And I think that's one thing is that I've had a lot of former players go into coaching and I've always tried to, you know, try to give them advice, but not be overbearing. Let them find out about themselves. And a couple of them, I tried to, you know, give them the heads up. Hey, this probably isn't a good situation and da, 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 da. And now that they no longer coach and they're good guys and they were good coaches. They just got overwhelmed in the situations they were in. And, and, but they're successful. One's an administrator now and another one's been teaching uh, so, I mean, they're doing what they love to do, but I always wish they would have maybe just backed off and been, been, a, you know, like the JV coach, that way you can make mistakes and not get fired. You know, you can learn from somebody ahead of you. And that's the, that's the one thing that I always had is that I got to learn without, you know, putting my job on the line. Yeah. That's a tough lesson. Cause I think every coach coming in, they all want to be head coaches. Um, and I think, you know, as a coach, you got to pay your dues, right? And uh, I was fortunate to really start at small schools and kind of that's how I got my head coaching experience, but I was making pennies though. But right. um, <laughs> but I wanted the experience though. I wanted the experience. I wanted to, you know, call the shots as a young coach. Do you think it's, if you had to give out some advice, do you think it's more important to start as an assistant, kind of work your way up or just pay your dues at small schools I mean, what, I don't think there's any one particular way, but what advice would you give? Yeah, no, I think you're right. There isn't one. Everybody is different. But the thing is, is that with me, I thought it was, I wanted to be a head coach early on, but it, I knew that it probably isn't going to because of where I was at. Um, but I think, you know, to it, that's a tough question to answer because it depends on a lot where you're at. Um, but I, I, I thought the road of being an assistant and learning from that and learning, seeing somebody, you know, to give. I, you kind of talked with Derek about that in the one podcast I was listening to, how the one coach sat him down at breakfast mm-hmm. one time, you know, sure. and, and I thought, oh, my God, that, that was great. I, I know that Derek didn't feel good about it at the time, but looking back <laughs> on it, that was probably the turning point in his career. So I think, you know, to me, learning from somebody, the good and the bad, you know, all right, I probably wouldn't do that, but I would probably do that. You know, just keeping uh, a a notebook on what you see, what you like and what you don't. And then that's kind of what I did. I, you know, in basketball, like anything in coaching, we all steal from everybody. 
So you've got those things that I've taken into my own other things. I thought, well, that's not going to work for me. So just, you know, just weed things out and go from there. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Coach. I, I'm actually kind of my, and I'm always trying to envision different things, but I think what's needed at the, even at the high school level is each a state's association needs retired mentors, guys that have done it and really been successful. I love to have the state kind of, you know, pay a salary for them and have them go out and really mentor coaches and really evaluate them. Cause I think there's a lot of high school coaches that would absolutely love that. And it would make a, it would make the game better because we're teaching very, you know, we're teaching young kids. Uh, I know it's not being done, but I think it's really needed in our profession, particularly at the high school. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Um, and I think that could get done too with, uh, the associations around because there's guys that still want to do do stuff like that but don't want the daily grind of coaching you know five six seven days a week uh that would that would probably love to do that you know to pass on their knowledge and and so forth you know i've seen i've seen some guys advertise well they'll come in and and it's a business for them but they'll sit down and they'll watch your practices and evaluate everything and then give you a um uh, uh, an evaluation or and film it and things like that, but they're doing it more for money, I think, than than to help people. Uh, but I think that would be a good idea, Kevin, and and to run it by some of these associations. That might be that might get some traction. Yeah, and I and I appreciate that. And I, I think when there's no invoice involved, <laughs> you know, for money, yeah, um, I think it I think it means more. And I think I think our state so I think our state athletic associations need to start doing more because i think now as you know winnings we're too result oriented we got to develop better coaches i think yes yeah you see that and you look around and i and i look at sometimes i watch these games various at various levels and wondering okay is anybody really coaching are they (laughs) are they they stepping back And, and i don't mean that in a mean way it's just that I think you're right. We want to win, win, win. And all we do is play games, play games, play games, as opposed to, um, you know, stepping back and teaching these guys. You know, the, the word load management's being thrown around a lot. Right. And, and But you look at it now, and somebody <clears throat> made this point, I don't remember who it was, like a week or so ago. Well, these guys are playing, you know, young kids are playing 50, 60, 100 games a summer for the last seven, eight years. And then when they get into the higher ranks, they're getting injured an awful lot because their bodies keep breaking down. You know, back in the day, we would take off uh, between sports or play multiple sports, but we would have downtime. You can't train 12 months a year like that. Uh, Over years, it starts adding up. And I think sometimes we got to look at that on how we're training guys, not only in basketball, but all sports. And starting at such an early age and then, you know, putting kids in uh, one sport. They can only play one sport. And that's the other thing that bothers me about um, what I see in a lot of high schools is coaches saying, well, if you're going to play for me, you can only play volleyball or you can only play basketball. And I don't want you playing anything else. And But I thought when I was coaching in high school, we didn't have football. And the guys played soccer. And that was our advantage, the footwork. Footwork, Our footwork yeah. was unbelievable and, and, and making cuts and everything, you know, uh, 
V cutting and things like that. That all was to our advantage. And I go back because we had guys that played multiple sports. And I think, you know, we, we put pigeonhole too many kids into one sport and it's, it's not good. Now, if you're in a big high school with thousands of kids, I get it. That's a little sure. bit different. But these smaller schools are even doing that with the coaches, you know, saying you can only do the one sport. And I, I, I just never I've never agreed with that. Uh, I think those are all great points. And I think uh, I mean, I I live with that situation here. I, I'm at a small school and, um, you know, I have girls that um, matter of fact, we have you know, we had to discipline some of our girls that who play softball 12 months a year games. I mean, they're out there, they're out there in the cold and, you know, of course they didn't come to a basketball game and we penalized them and whatever. I mean, and, you know, they had to miss a game, but they, you know, the, the parents don't understand that, but it's like, you know what? The school sport is first, uh, allow the kid time off from the, to the sport they really love and come out and be part of the school community. And that's, that's a hard sell, man, because people are really getting them to say, Hey, you got to play 12 months a year. And I totally, I totally don't agree with that. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's not. Cause I, I know myself, I coached um, four varsity sports and I, I wanted to see guys play in different sports or the girls play in different sports. You got to do that. And it, it works different muscles. It works different thinking. It, it all plays in, it all plays in, you know, and growing up playing different sports, I thought it all helped me. Yeah, I think it prevents injury, right, Mark? I mean, I, I think by using multiple muscles, I think it's injury prevention. <laughs> I think so, too. Because, yeah, you're right. You're using different muscles on the different sports specific. And it just, I think it, it just makes a more better, well-rounded athlete. Yeah, that's a great point. Coach, tell me about, I have mostly high school coaches, and I got a lot of them that listen. I want you to kind of maybe even, you know, from the experience you have learned at all different levels, tell us what you would do. And if you had to go into a high school program and start, what would you build first? Would you focus on the culture first? Would you focus on personnel? Give us an idea of how you would do it again at the high school level. Well, I think you got to communicate. So with that, you got culture. So you got to communicate the type of culture you want. Uh, next, you got your junior high coaches have to buy. If you are, if you have a junior high that feeds in, those guys or gals, those girls, the women have to, um, they have to buy into what you're doing. And I've been in situations where that wasn't the case, and right. that really, that's really a detriment to your program. You got to have them now. Let them have the 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 basic things that you want them to do then let them expand off and do some of their own things obviously but the culture you got to put in is that when they move from seventh to eighth to ninth grade to jv to varsity everybody's doing the same thing everybody is on the same page with um your terminology with the way that you warm up with the way that you conduct practices um how you do those things those are all the structure part of it to me is the key in rebuilding. I've, I've rebuilt co uh, high schools, uh, college, uh, and pro teams. But the one thing that is all is the common thread is the communication and the structure to, within the culture itself and building relationships. I think that's the one thing I'm most proud of is that 
I'm still in contact with guys that I coached back in the, the late eighties, early nineties and still stay in touch with them. But the thing is, is get everybody on the same page by what you want communicated, how you want it said, um, your practice structure, uh, have everything down, have it to a script and stay to that script. Sometimes things don't always go the way you want to go. Yeah. And then cut out of a, cut out of a, a drill early. If it's going well, take it a little longer, but don't, the players will know right away whether or not you're prepared or not. As soon as you walk in the very first practice of the first day that you're ever there, they're going to know whether or not you're for real or you're just there to, to, to fill time and, and move on to a next job, if you will. So you got to be genuine. That's the other thing. You got to, you got to build trust, um, those types of things. And that can be done short term again. When you come in, you say something and you live to your word. You 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 live up to what you say. And those types of things go a long way. How do you present yourself, you know, in the way that you appear? Those types of things. Um, you know, how they always say dress for the job that you want to have. Those types of things. I can always remember that um, back in when I was first starting to coach, you know, wearing a tie and coat in junior high games. But you know what? In Indiana... Of course, I only knew that because that's where I lived. But the junior high coaches dressed like that, right? It was just one of those things because basketball was such a premium in the state and getting those better jobs were difficult. You had to set yourself apart. So those types of things. So all those things go in there. And, and go to coaching clinics. Uh, most of your local colleges will allow you to come in and, and sit down and watch. Um, that was one thing when, when I was doing my master's degree up here. Dan Hipsher was the head coach at Akron and, and I was doing um, some master's work and I needed to look at, uh, you know, some different segments of administrators and such. And, and I didn't want to go into administration per se, other than to maybe be an athletic director, but they allowed me to go in and I, I would sit in on some of his meetings. I would sit in, I sat in on as many practices as I could and I learned from it. And what I caught right away he was teaching. He was on the court teaching fundamentals. And I told him, I go, you know what? This is great to see that even at your level, you're breaking the game down into fundamentals that coaches in high school are using, or that I was using, that junior high coaches were using. Hey, coach. Yep. You there? I'm there. I'm there. Mark, welcome back. back. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to ask you this. You gave some great ideas for us. Tell me about what would you do? I just, I think the first team meeting is so vitally important. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I'll be, even with a team that I have coached for a while, it's important. What did you say? Give me, give me some examples of what you did in your first team meetings because you're trying to establish who you are in the culture, right? Right. And I tell them, you know, I, I basically break down. Here's the way we're going to do things. Here's what we're going to do in practice, the first half, in the <laughs> middle, at the end. But I always tell them, I say, you know, the, the one thing that I will not do, I will never publicly embarrass you. I won't, I won't scream you down during a game. I won't scream at you. I won't swear at you. Those types of things. 
and right there you're building trust with them and i hold them i hold it up to that i won't i won't ever do that to them in you know talking with the media i'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus when it comes to that and i think that earns at, at my level that earns the trust uh right there because you know a lot of times even in minor league basketball we get you know our games are streamlined our you get the local media in there and things like that so i think it's important there but then you could you could put down the the three you could put the the three things that you want if somebody didn't know anything about the team and they were to walk into our practice what are the three things that they're going to see about us you know those are the types of things you could talk about on on where you want to take go with the team um this the structure part of it how you want communication to be dealt with, um, who needs to go through who, uh, and, and, you know, put who, you know, how are we going to do captains, um, those types of things. Um, you know, what is important to the, to this team and, and come up with a, come up with a word last year at Jamestown, we came up with a word, a team word, fair F A I R R. And, so we went with that. It was a breaking it down with family, accountability, integrity, respect, and responsibility. And those guys held up to that. Uh, we would put it on the board before games um, when I would remember to do it. <laughs> but <laughs> we would have, you know, that was one of the things that we would put on. I would put on the scouting reports up the top right underneath who we were playing. So those types of things, building culture there, uh, just the, the line of communication is so important and, and defining roles. Now, I, I will self-admit I did not do a good job of that last year at the beginning of the year uh, with the once we assembled our team going into the, the TBL season. I thought I had, but then once we started having um, you know, meetings or exit interviews at the end of the year. That was the one thing that came up from the guys. And I took from that, that, yeah, I got to do a better job. Even though I've been doing this 30 years, there's sometimes when you think you've done something and, and you think you've, as a coach, you've gotten something done and it comes back, you haven't. So what one thing that I'm going to do this year is have a whiteboard in my room and have on there, what do I need to communicate today? And then under that, the next line is, who do I need to communicate it to? So that way I can see that every day. And then it reminds myself to, hey, this I got to go talk to. This is what I got to see. Some, you know, a lot of times in our world today, a text message may not be good enough because you got to do that um, face to face. And I think that's one thing that's lost in our social media world is that things aren't done face to face anymore. Uh, at all levels. And it's something that, you know, a lot of the books that I've been reading um, and the three that have really stood out to me, the, the face-to-face communication all jumps out. And, it, and I think that's a lost art in our world today. Yeah, that's a great point. I think everybody's in a hurry, right, Mark? I mean, oh, yeah. I, and I think we're all guilty and particularly Probably a coach like yourself, man, you got so many things going on. It's probably the easy fall into that. But it's not, I love how you self-evaluated yourself. Um, give me an example of defining roles, because that's also a mystery. Not a mystery for me, but it's hard for me because I get caught up in everything else. How do you define? Tell me about your team coming up. How are you going to define their roles? 
Well, this year it's going to be a little different because we've only got four of the guys back. But in that role, I've got, for example, um, a six-five guy that's coming back, Michael Davenport. He is he's a, going to be twenty-nine. He's an experienced pro. He's one of the leader of the team. He's one of our scorers. He's got to have the ball. He will be engaged uh, late in the game. Those types of things. The guys that role playing. Not everybody's a scorer. Not everybody. Now I've got a center, Daniel Malumba, six nine. He knows that I got to. He's got to go get the ball. And if he scores over six points, that's gravy. But he'll get me ten to twelve rebounds. Those types of things. He knows his role. I, I always have a. a pass first point guard and uh, but uh, by the same token that point guard's got to be able to score one of the best point guards i've ever coached troy taylor played at the university of evansville pass first um point guard and he knows he was a, a perfect extension of me on the floor because he knew what to run when to run it who to get the ball to and and those are the types of things he knew that he wasn't out there to score now he he, he was one of the best offensive rebounding point guards I've ever had and a strong guy. And he's not a three-point shooter, so he knows that. He knows that his strong suit is to go to the basket and distribute. But those those roles can be defined. Um, I go back to when we won the national championship in 2004 that we, we started out two and three, two and four, and I finally sat guys down individually and said, all right, maybe I haven't been explicit with here's your role. You either buy in or you're done. And we took off after that. So guys now had the structure of being in their role and it's going to be different for every player, obviously. Um, you know, the, the time you got to say, all right, you're going in for so-and-so you may only play 20 minutes a game, but what are you going to do? Okay, I had uh, the sixth man of the year last year, Corey Wilford, play for me in Jamestown. He averaged 17 and a half points off the bench in 20 minutes a game. He knew his role. He went in. He was a scorer, but he also played both ends of the floor. Kevin, he rebounded and and passed the ball. But he knew that his time was going to be a defined time frame. He gave me 100 percent every time he was out there. And come on, we we averaged 53 points a game off the bench. So we, we ta- hashtagged them, the bench mob, because those guys came in. They knew their roles once we got going uh, as the season progressed um, and, and took off from that. So it comes down to just community. You'll know, you'll know pretty sure, like at the high school level, you're not recruiting players uh, for the most part. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but you'll know what a guy's role is, but they have to accept it. And more importantly, at the high school level, the parents have to accept it. Sure. <laughs> and that's, that, that's probably going to be the harder sell than, than telling your, your boys players or your girls players, Hey, this is your role here. And you're going to go from it. You know, one of the things, if I ever went back and coached high school again, I think one of the things that I would have to do is that I should never get a phone call from your mom or dad or an at, or, and I know in today's world, that's not going to be the case, but you, you have to learn as growing up, you have to come in and talk to me about it. Not mom, not dad, you do. And then we go from there. But uh, again, a lot of times you don't get athletic directors that are back in the, the coaches. I think that's a problem. Um, we see that at many levels, just not to high school, but also college. 
but those types of things. So the role and the coach has got to stick to that. You know, one of the things you got to stick to and roles can change. I always tell players that too. Roles can change and that's going to come through either probably the way that you're going in practice, what you do in practice can change a role, uh, those types of things, but it comes down to communication. And if you can, if, if a high school coach has the opportunity um, to videotape practices and say, hey, this is right here. Here's your proof on why you're not playing X amount of time, or this is this is why you're not getting you know a ball in these situations because we put you in those situations in practice and you're not finishing. So those types of things. So hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> you sure did. Yeah, I love. I mean, I, I love the input you had there. Uh, and I, actually, I coach girls, and um, right. we, we got a good little girls team. The other day we. Um, you know, we won 70 to 21, but you know, that's, that's not, that's not really, you know, actually I, I still found a lot of problems with what we did. The one great thing about my team is I got seniors and juniors coming off the bench and I got two freshmen starting talking. Oh, wow. I had to really communicate with them why they are coming off the bench and so far so good, but right. for kids, I know there, it's going to be a challenge, but, I just think that's what's best for our team. In particular, I have one kid that's an absolute fireball. She struggles mentally on starting games. But when you have her come off the bench, she comes in and just gets after it. And why? I have no clue, but she's better off the bench. And that's part of coaching, right? You got to have – you got to understand your kids. Oh yeah, I look for I look for guys that can come off the bench and do things like that because that is so important. You know, in the old adage, it doesn't matter who starts, who finishes. And a lot of times when I'm scouting teams, I look to see who finishes the game because right. that tells you who coach wants in there at crunch time. And again, that says something if a, if a kid is willing to come off the bench and accept their role, that's just going to make everybody else so much better. Oh, no doubt about that. And you got to keep selling that every day. And you, you mentioned a good word. It's communication, man. You got to constantly go face to face and you got to, and you got to have a good staff. And I have a great staff that really helps me with that. Um, to talk about your system. And I know at your level, you probably have to adjust your system of play to your personnel, correct? Um, yeah. Uh, or you get the guys that best suit your system, but, I do a, uh, we use a lot of set plays, probably 17 to 20 set plays with motion in there. Um, defense is going to be a key because obviously you're not allowed to play zones to a great extent. You can't, you can play zones in the NBA rules, but you got to also uh, disguise it so you don't get called for defense of three second in the lane. But those types of things. So our system is, is we like to push the ball. Uh, we like to communicate and rotate. We got you got to communicate and rotate on defense, or you're going to get beat every time. But the thing is, um, one of the things that I've always been proud of is that I always have five five guys, either averaging over in double figures or right at it. And last year we had seven uh, guys that averaged double figures. So, and of course we're playing a longer game, but. Even when I was coaching in high school, we would have five to six guys that were at nine and a half to 11 points a game. And typically as a team, we shot inside the arc uh, right around 45 to 50 percent. 
it comes down to who's getting the ball and what shots um, off of the off the plays and putting guys putting kids and players in the in the position to succeed. I think that also is is a huge thing, um, and not being too complicated with what you're doing. That that's the other thing. Sometimes we we out coach ourselves because we, right. we think we we got to do something spectacular every time down. And I learned that when the first when I got fired as a high school coach, I learned not to be a control freak because I remember the first time I coached a college game, and my mom and dad were sitting there, and my dad said, "He's not the same guy." <laughs> I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You weren't." animated you weren't trying to control everything and i said no you're right because i i said i learned a good lesson in you know more of a game management type thing because if you don't get the things done in practice that you want to do in the game how can you fault the players and by screaming at them and yelling at them for not doing something that you haven't even talked to them about or even gone over in in you know preparing for that team so that was one of the things that I learned uh, that was a big thing. And preparation, team prep. I always felt that last year, um, outside of maybe one of the coaches, I always felt that we were the best prepared team when it came to scouting reports, breaking down what we were going to do uh, in certain situations, how we were going to defend the pick and roll, those types of things. And I think that just comes down to um, the way I was brought up as a coach. Mark, tell me, give me one, and I know we don't have you know all the time for that, like the teacher teach all your system, but give us one thing that you really believe within our system. Like, you know, maybe you run a numbered fast break, or give us something that's unique to your system. Oh, that's unique to my <laughs> uh... that you believe in. Well, I've I've heard from different coaches over the years that one reason we're hard to prepare for is because we throw so many things at 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 teams. Now that that contradicts what I just said before about you know simplicity, but um, I think because the fact that we just we work on doing a lot of things and implementing, I, I try to I, I trust my players. And that's one thing that has come back in years over the conversations is that I let them I let them make mistakes without yanking them. And if they know that they're going to now, obviously, if they make two or three in a row, that's a little bit different. But if they know that they can go out there and play freely without having to look over at oh, what's coach going to do now, you know, those types of things. But I think just going in there and that. The, the team, we try not to beat ourselves. That's the one thing is with our organization, that we're organized. That's the biggest thing. We're organized. Yeah, and that's um, and that takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, and particularly like for high school coaches, where, the, where we struggle at is, is time. Because, you know, we all have families. We all have things we got to do. We all, I teach six classes. Um, so that's always a struggle. What advice can you give that helps you on your organization or maybe could help us on your preparation? I think it's just that when you have your, you know, prep time at school, um, and I always was one that didn't want to bring it home and I never did. I never brought it home at night to talk, you know, and, and take away from family time is try, try to be organized enough to the point that you can get everything you need to do 
either that morning or during the day when you have your your free period or whatnot. And then, sure, you you got time at home to watch film and things like that. But on on a daily basis, I always tried to get everything done that I could there at school uh, and go from there and and have time. You know, you got time after practice. Just try to stay and be respectful of your assistants' time too, because they have family too. That's another thing. So I think uh, you know sometimes we tend to to try to 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 overdo things because we don't want to be out coached but again you can get your things done in a short amount of time if you're organized and structured yeah i, I totally agree and i some, sometimes i think sometimes we do too much don't you think less is better mark i do it's, again you don't want to overcomplicate things especially in today like uh, in today's world with the scouting reports even even today i'll, I'll give a one-page scouting report and uh, maybe on the backside, too. So just to flip it over, a shot chart on the back. But I try to keep it simple so that way they can run through and see what they're doing, give offensive, defensive tendencies, and then um, have them go from there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think all high school, I mean, even at the high, high school level, you have to be simple because kids really, I mean, I, we're not coaching NBA players. And I think lots, sometimes we overcoach. Um, Coach, my last few questions here are based on practice. Give me your practice structure. Uh, how would you run a practice, even at your level now? It's probably different than us high school coaches, but what's your practice structure? Uh, you'd be surprised. It probably isn't, Kevin. Um, so we'll start out with 10 to 15 minutes of dynamic stretching, and then warm. we'll go some full-court full warm-ups, um, I still believe, and I use the Greg Popovich line, I can learn a lot from watching you do three-man weave. And, and that's true. I, I've had um, some pro tryouts where guys can't do three-man weave, and that exposes them right away. But we'll, right. do, full, we'll do some full-court uh, full stuff, 11-man break. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, the three-man weave will start in tight and then expand it out, get a good sweat going. Um, then we'll go into defensive drills right away, get them focused. Um, I do a thing called Purdue scramble, uh, where you've got four guys on the, out on the three point line and three guys in the lane. I have the basketball underneath the basket and I throw it out to one of the offensive players and it's live and they've got to scramble and try to and not get scored on. Um, so it teaches communication right there in defensive rotation. Um, so they have to really be on their game. Then after we probably in defense for a half hour or so, uh, we'll go into some type of shooting drills, uh, free throws somewhere in there, and then come off. We'll, and then we'll do game situations and offense uh, for the, the remaining time and working on that. Yeah, and I think you're right. That is that is similar to you know what what I use and what a lot of high school coaches do. Yeah. Uh, what what would be one? I, I want to talk about player development because I know at your level, your job is to get these guys ready for the next level, and player development has to be it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, and a lot of it at, at this level is is on your own. Um, we had guys that. Uh, would be in the gym every day in the morning uh, doing their way. These are the guys that have also left. I got one that's playing over in Portugal. 
he was in the gym every day. He would shoot for an hour, an hour and a half, lift weights, um, get off his feet, eat, you know, those types of things. Rest is important, but with player development, you set up the structure and, you know, what they want to do. And now in, in practices, we'll break it down um, with bigs and the guards. I usually take the big and work on the footwork and things like that. And then the guards um, will work with the other assistant and work on things there. But player development a lot of times comes at at, at my level, at this level, uh, on their own because they have to be at it because they know if they if they slack off, next man up is taken over. Right. So it's important uh, that you have structure. Now at the high school level, you can do. I don't. You know, each state's a little bit different. Um, I know when I was coaching in Indiana we could not work with the players uh, during the summer. And that's all changed. Um, you know, they have the open days that you can, even here in Ohio, they have it too, the, the amount of days that you can work with kids and work on player development, which is good. But that also hurt camps. That's why so many of the universities went to team camps because now coaches could work with their, their players. Nobody was going to the um, fundamental camps. So they all went to team camps to bring them in. So they adjusted too, but I think those are all things you, you set up a program. You can set up a program for kids to follow. And a lot of it's self-discipline. Your good players are going to do it. Uh, your average players will do some. So it's, and you'll know too, you know, whether, whether or not they're doing it. Yeah, we definitely know we're, we're <laughs> trying to get everybody to be a high level player in our program. Um, it's a struggle um, right. because not everybody has the same desires, right? I mean, that's not everybody's, yeah. That's that's the key right there. Not everybody has the same desire, and and a lot of times you when you know that too, that also defines the role for the player. Correct. Kid, I remember some kids just being delighted to be on the team. I just coach. I just want to be involved. I don't care if I, you play me much at all. Great. I need players like that. Every coach needs players like that. So, yeah. Hey, Mark, tell me about this. One last idea here is like tomorrow we had a game Saturday. You know, we have practice tomorrow, then another game. I do what I call my IPI, which is individual player improvement. I try to take one area and focus on that one area of improvement that they need. And I do it at the beginning of practice. Um, and we allow them to correct it and we kind of oversee it. Um, I think that's really vitally important. I don't think we do enough of that. Uh, I know a lot of coaches just go right into the preparation for the game. I think that's probably the most important thing is what can each player get better at? Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, so they could do that. So you, you have them, you kind of, do you give them the list of, of, or kind of like a little teaching points that you saw or is it? Yes. Yes. And, um, I'll give you an example. I have, we shoot a lot of three point shots, but I have one young kid who's, um, of course she was upset. You know, this is another thing, but she was upset because she's missing her three point shots. Now, number one, she's got a slow release. We're going to work on quick release, but also she's got to have that ability to drive. She doesn't have the skills yet to drive. So we're going to work on that. We're going to work on getting set before the shot and working on that quick release. Then we're going to work on, on a hard closeout. You got to be able to rip and go. Um, to me, that's vitally important because kids got to know what they're not doing correctly. Yeah. And that's true at every level. They you got guys have got to be, 
the players have got to be coachable. And if they're coachable, then they're going to improve. They're going to take what you say and then and take it to heart. I mean, the, the people want to be coached up. The ones that want to be coached up are, are the are the truly the assets of the team because if you can take your best player and coach them up and, and get after them and they respond positively, then who else on the team can't have that happen? You know, the, those types of things. And you always try to figure out, and and you figure out who you can who you can kind of yell at and get on, and who else you have to take the soft tone approach to. And that's important, too, because how a kid responds. Um, but, no, I like that idea and taking, giving them something to work on, the individual improvement at the beginning of practice. I mean, we kind of do that in a way, too. We'll talk to a guy, hey, here's what you need to work on when you get in the gym. Work on this, maybe a two-dribble pull-up instead of taking that extra dribble or, or get some arc on the ball, those types of things. So, you know, it's all part of coaching. That's a good idea, Kevin. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think we always talk about the one thing, like don't give them 10 things, give them one thing. Uh, And I think that's really important. And my last question has to do with leadership. How do you, do you focus on teaching leadership at your level or is it more of, um, you know, you just hope to get good type of leaders on your team. How do you do that at your level? Uh, It's, it's like recruiting. You, you, I try to get guys that are kind of like me <laughs> in the way of kind of quiet and take back and we'll take a point guard, for example, I think has to be a natural leader. And I always look at that. Are they, are they the most talkative on the court? And generally they are the ones that have played for me are the ones that have been the most talkative and, and most aggressive in those types of things, which is a good thing. But leadership can also, it can be learned sometimes, you know, a lot of times it's inherent, but um, it can be learned. Like last year, one of the, the, the player I referenced who was in Portugal was very quiet. And by the end of the year, he was one of our best guys on the court when it came to talking and in the community too. He really blossomed as not only a player, but a person overall. And that helped him move on to go play overseas. So again, he learned that. Because we had various people say, we've never heard him talk this much. And he played Division One basketball. So it's one of those things that can be learned over time. A guy becomes more comfortable with it because he's put in a situation where he can become a leader. Then, you know, a lot of times that's where it's learned if it's not already inherently inside the person. Yeah, and I'm sure what you did was, was emphasize it every day to him. I'm sure with your coaches, I'm sure that's how you had to do it, right? It's a daily you're fighting for him on a daily basis, correct? Yeah, and we gave him confidence. Um, and he knew he wasn't going to get pulled out of games for missing shots and things like that. And he came back and said, you know, this is one of the best seasons I've ever had because you guys gave me confidence in what I was doing. And it opened doors for him. So I think, you know, and it goes back, I know I was always a quiet kid in in school, but on the court or on the baseball field or on playing volleyball. Um, you know, I was always a talker, had to be the, the communicator and, and led by example. It just felt natural to me as one of those things. Um, and I think, you know, being a coach too, it's you're a natural leader when it comes to those situations. So, uh, it's a lot of it's how you're raised. Uh, I was the oldest of five. I think maybe that had something to do with it. <laughs> I'm sure it did. <laughs> yeah. You know, those types of things. 
So a lot of times the pecking order in your family that that plays a part too. So um, it can it can be a, a, a many things that come into becoming in that leadership role. But a lot of times it's from example too of who you see how how leaders are leading. That can also be a good example. That, that's a great point. I mean, if you're around some great leaders, I think that feeds off of each other. So I think I think the I think that goes back to having a good culture in your program from older down to younger. I, I totally agree with that. Hey, give me a one last piece of advice, Mark, on for a new coach coming in. Um, I know the season's already started around the country, but give one last piece of advice that you have learned. Uh, from all your years of coaching? You got to be comfortable with what you're doing. You got to be you. I know that's an overused expression, but I I can remember as a young coach, saying, oh, I got to do that. I got to be like him. And, and I would start doing stuff like that. And I go, this, I don't feel right doing that. So I, I learned to become who I am as a coach just by taking things and then picking out the way I see coaches, uh, how they would act during practice or during games and, and then mold it into how I would be comfortable doing that. So I think you got to be yourself. That, that, that's great advice. It's hard sometimes because people, uh, people see other successful people and it's like, no, you got to take bits and pieces. Right. And then be yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you just got to build. It's like a puzzle. You just kind of put all the different parts together and see where it goes. Absolutely. Coach, how can we get a hold of you? I have a lot of coaches that listen. Um, your email, any social media, Facebook, Twitter, what's the best way to get a hold of you and get information on what you're doing? Okay. So I'm on, um, I'm on Instagram. I'm the coach a 14 uh, on Twitter. I'm at coaching C O a C H I N B B coaching B ball. I'm on LinkedIn at Mark D. Anderson. Um, I'm on Facebook, but normally I don't accept Facebook unless I <laughs> met the person because you never know who it is. Once I meet somebody and then they and then I go back and then I'll go, oh, okay, I'll accept that. But right, right. I'm on yeah, Instagram. Uh, my YouTube is The Coach Anderson. Um, all one word. I've got it up there. I've got some things on there. Actually, my background picture is the Hoosier Gym inside so um i don't think i'm missing anything am i no. um you, you have a good email that coaches oh, yeah. and not nah, don't worry about it um no i do it, it's coach anderson 14 the number okay. 14 at gmail okay that's great coach thank you so much for sharing man i i mean with all your your experience at different levels. I mean, the coaches are going to get a lot of great ideas from you. Um, I've learned quite a bit just from listening to you. I appreciate it. I wish you the best in your next season, which is going to be your third or second season. Third. This will uh, be my second full season. Yeah. Second season. Yes. Hey, I'm hoping to see you one day, almost like the Toronto Raptors coach coming up and uh, being at the next level, man. I hope to see you uh, at the next level one day. Thanks, Kevin. I really enjoyed our talk tonight. It was fun. All right. Thanks, Mark. Have a great night. Thank you. All right. You also. All right. Thank Bye you. Now.
all is dead There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Hi, this is Jeff Jasper, head basketball coach at Pascack Valley High School in New Jersey. If you haven't listened to Kevin's championship podcast, you're missing out. This guy's got a passion for the game, great insights, and he interviews some pretty cool people. I must say he interviewed me. I had a lot of fun. Best to all of you. Take care.